Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Listen for the Lord's word to you. Listen. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And the those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting back in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. And now once more we ask for your spirit to teach us, for us to hear your word, to take it to heart and be transformed into the likeness and image of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we ask these things. Amen. It's a pretty clumsy title. Um, 
But the story of the Gerasene demoniac, uh, it's the longest, most detailed, and best known exorcism story in the Bible. Uh, as you just heard, it's kind of hard to forget this image of 2,000 or so demon-possessed pigs stampeding over a cliff into the Sea of Galilee. It's a scene that has tempted more than one preacher to joke that this is the origin of deviled ham. Well, our reading begins with Jesus entering a comprehensively unclean space. The unnamed man lives in the country of the Gerasenes, a Gentile territory considered unclean. He makes his home among the tombs, considered ritually unclean. And of course, he has unclean spirits living in him, rendering him unclean. And these unclean spirits give this man this enormous supernatural strength, but also they torment him and lead him to self-mutilation so that day and night he was always crying out and cutting himself with the stones. The unclean spirit or spirits, there's so many that they call themselves legion, which is a Roman military term consisting of four to 6,000 soldiers. Scholars have noted that the 10th legion of the Roman military was stationed in Palestine during this time and that one of the symbols on their banner was the wild boar, the pigs. And so those, you can imagine, those who heard this story for the first time in Jesus' day, they would have heard these clear political undertones, suggesting perhaps the destruction of the Roman legions, of Jesus overthrowing the empire and getting rid of the occupying armies. Perhaps they would also hear the echoes of Pharaoh's armies being drowned under the sea. And they may have wondered, Will Jesus now deliver us from Roman occupation as God had done before and just as he has now delivered this man? I mentioned a few weeks ago that we live in very different times than in the worldview of Jesus' day. And unclean spirits, that is not the language that we would use to describe illness. Today we would attribute um, genetics, uh, biochemical imbalances, um, physiological causes to both physical and mental illness. Uh, for example, one of the most interesting books on mental illness, which uh, I've mentioned before, uh, is by Susanna Callahan, her memoir uh, entitled Brain on Fire, My Month of Madness. In it, she describes uh, how she was a healthy, young woman, when for no reason at all, she began to display symptoms which we could easily classify as demonic possession. Here's how she describes one of her earlier episodes. My boyfriend heard guttural sounds coming from me. The grunts were very unnatural sounding, so he turned and looked at me. And he saw that my eyes were wide open, but completely unseen. At that point, my arms whipped out and I had a ground mouth seizure and I was convulsing. I bit my tongue so that blood and a kind of a combination of blood and foam was coming out of my mouth. I slurred my words, I drooled. I believed that I could age people with my mind. I mean, this was a perfectly ordinary, healthy young woman 
And all of a sudden, this just, just turned this way. How would we explain this? In the first century, we'd say, she's possessed. Legion has taken hold of her. Now, Samantha, now Susanna Callahan and her doctors eventually discovered that her symptoms were caused by something uh, known today as anti-NMDA receptor autoimmune encephalitis, for those of you doctors out there. This disease, this identification, was only made in 2007. But doctors believe this illness, this condition, has been around forever. So prior to 2007, anyone who had these symptoms, these expressions, would have been declared, you know, insane or demonically possessed. In various interviews in the memoir, she mentions that others who had the disease and who actually believed they were demon-possessed and sought out priests for exorcisms. Now, is it possible that this man was suffering from this or some similar neurological disease? It's possible, it's possible. But even if we can kind of explain illness away naturally in modern medical terms, we are still left with this, this healing and this marching of the pigs like the proverbial lemmings over the cliff to their destruction. This story raises so many questions for me, uh, as I'm sure it does for you. But I was really struck this week by these three questions that were asked, that were, that were begged of Jesus. The first is in verse 10. It says that he, probably meaning the man, or perhaps legion speaking through him, begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. They begged Jesus to not send them out of the country. The unclean spirits or demons have to beg Jesus for permission. They acknowledge that Jesus is the son of the most high God and that he has authority to torment them and to decide whether or not he will release them. They might be very powerful and more than capable of destroying and tormenting a man, but their power is circumscribed. It is limited. They are fearful of Jesus and they are no match for him. I think we should be careful. I know that it's, it's, it's hard to do this, but I think we should be careful not to dismiss all language about unclean spirits as mere artifacts of a pre-scientific era. I think this kind of language, the spirit language, speaks to the truth that there is more to this world than simply the material and the physical. That there is an underlying spiritual reality. Ephesians 6, for example, reminds us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Perhaps one of the reasons that we don't see these kinds of Germanic uh, demonic possessions and exorcisms today is not only because we have uh, medical explanations, but because the risen Christ has bound and limited the activity of these demonic forces. 
Now, whether you accept the ideal of unclean spirits as mere cultural accommodation to explain what we would describe otherwise today, or whether you accept demonic spirits as a literal reality, what we find in this and other encounters with demonic spirits is that demons cause self-destructive behavior in the victims, that the victim is or feels trapped in their condition, and that that condition separates them from normal living with family and community. That sounds very modern, doesn't it? We may not label as demonic possession, but haven't we all known what this is like? To act in behavior that is self-destructive, to feel trapped in that condition, and to be separated because of that from family and community? Don't we know people, and have we not ourselves experienced this occupation with addictions and jealousies anger, anxieties, and a host of other disorders which could be described in this way? Have we not known destructive behaviors, whether from us or from those around us, where we felt trapped and that kept us from experiencing the fullness of life in family and community? I think what this story teaches us is that we can have confidence, we can have confidence that Jesus has the power to free us and to heal us. These demonic forces are ultimately powerless against Jesus. And Jesus here is reclaiming for himself those under Satan's dominion. That's the good news of the kingdom of God that he's preaching. With each victory over an unclean spirit, Jesus is pushing back the borders. He's pushing back the borders of Satan's dominion. The destruction of the demons in the Sea of Galilee point to the ultimate destruction of evil. The second question that is begged of Jesus is found in verse 17. And they, that is the townspeople, began to beg Jesus, beg Jesus to depart from their region. They came to witness some crazy thing that they heard they came to see for themselves. They came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They all came to see what happened, but isn't this telling that the people saw the man healed, sane, and instead of rejoicing, they became afraid. And so they asked Jesus to go away. Why are they so fearful of one sane man? What is, what is it about a sane man that is to be feared? Nothing really, right? It's just, just an ordinary man. But I think what they were fearful of is the cost of elevating one man to wholeness. In their minds, Jesus had essentially destroyed the economy of an entire region, potentially impoverishing families and entire villages for the sake of one man whom everyone had implicitly agreed was not worth saving. 
one mentally unstable man wandering among the tombs was perfectly acceptable to their community. Right? We don't mind a few people that are just kind of out there. We can kind of ignore them as long as they don't interfere with our daily living. But in Jesus' economy, one man lost is not acceptable. Yeah, uh, a couple of days ago during uh, FG, uh, someone shared that Confucius taught that the opposite of righteousness is not what we might think of as uh, injustice or immorality, but that Confucius taught that the opposite of righteousness is profit. I had to kind of let that sink in for a while and, and realize kind of the, the, the truth of that. The opposite of righteousness is profit. And then someone else in the FG pointed out that, you know, Jesus basically said the same thing. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Right? And yet, isn't this, this unfettered pursuit of profit over everything else, the underpinnings of our economy and our country? It's not just corporations. It's us. For me, I think, you know, Jesus is asking a really hard question here, a really hard one, and that is, what is the value of one life? We may agree with Thomas Jefferson that all men are created equal, but we naturally value some lives over others, of course. What is the value of the life of your spouse or your children? If they were ill, wouldn't you do everything in your power, spend all of your resources to find help so that they might get well? Susanna Callahan writes that she had the fortune to have medical insurance and that she had a family who was so supportive that they were willing to pay a million dollars to get her diagnosed and treated. If she didn't, she would have ended up in some psychiatric ward or wandering among the streets or among the tombs. This man, he's a stranger to us. But Jesus sees and knows that this is not a stranger. This is someone's son, someone's brother, perhaps someone's father and husband. He sees that this is a child of God and his brother. Is it worth missing out on sausage, ham, pork chops, bacon, samgyopsar for a season to save the life of a member of our community? Is the life of one abandoned man worth 2,000 pigs? Jesus seems to think so. But the people who witnessed it disagreed. They counted the cost and they asked Jesus to leave. They decided, no, it's not worth it. They chose profit over righteousness. They preferred having their regular lives of pig herding restored than to have Jesus around and the implications of having Jesus around. The cost of wholeness. Sometimes even a life as dramatically 
transformed as this will not persuade people of the good news because the good news calls us to a life of sacrifice so that all might enjoy the shalom of peace. And most people have this mistaken idea that I can have peace for myself and my close family and my friends while others suffer. And Jesus tells us that's not the way it works. The third begging of Jesus is found in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Jesus said yes to the demons when they asked permission to enter the pigs. Jesus also leaves the region when he's asked to leave. But when a man asks and begs him to follow him, Jesus says no. I mean, what a great disciple this man would have been. And yet Jesus says, no, I don't want you to come. I want you to stay. He says, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Jesus sends him home to witness and to reconnect with his family and his friends. I think that's a part of the healing that the man needs to go through, a part of the healing that the community needs to come to grips with. You know, for some people, he's always going to be that guy who had had legion. For some people, they will always hold him with a little bit of suspicion, wondering, you know, what if he gets possessed again? So hanging out with Jesus might be an escape for him. Perhaps it's more fun, more adventurous, and easier than going back home. Going home is sometimes the most difficult form of discipleship there is, right? Isn't that true? It's often the most difficult thing to do to faithfully witness to those closest to you. I know that I find it easier to preach to a thousand strangers in Kenya than it is to try to have a consistent, faithful witness to members, to some members of my extended family. It's hard to have a constant, faithful discipleship. So maybe this is a word for us. You know, the, the demonic possessions may be way out there, but here's a word for us. Here is a discipleship we can all imitate. Go home and tell your family and your friends what the Lord has done for you. I think few, if any of us, will be asked to leave everything behind to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. But we are all called to no less a discipleship at home. If our desire is to be with Jesus, we can still bear witness where we are. This man did not know Jesus very well. He had this one encounter, that's it. He hasn't heard Jesus preach as far as we know. It's doubtful he spent any time in synagogue and worship, doesn't know his scriptures. But none of that seems to have mattered. He obeyed Jesus and he went home and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus told the man to tell everyone about what the Lord had done for him. That is what God had done for him. But he goes and tells everyone about what Jesus had done for him. The man recognized that Jesus was the Lord. And perhaps he learned that from having had the legion who recognized that Jesus is the son of the most 
High God, right? It might mean that that very illness was the thing that led him to recognize who Jesus is. Now, I doubt any of us has a testimony as attention-grabbing as this man. But we are all called to proclaim, here's what the Lord has done for me. You don't have to be a Bible expert. Your life does not have to be perfect. You might have missed Sunday worship for a long time. You don't even have to know Jesus very well. You might not know a lot of things, but there's got to be at least one thing that you know. If you're a Christian, you know, here's something that the Lord has done for me. You know that much. Share that with someone at home with your friends. Encourage one another with what the Lord has done for you. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you today for reminding us that you are the one who has the authority and the power to heal and that no weapon formed against us shall stand. For greater are you who lives in us than he that is in the world. Lord, we acknowledge that every life is precious. So give us a heart that is willing to sacrifice, to protect, to rescue, to elevate, to heal lives that are lost and broken. For we know that no one is so lost that they are beyond your reach, that you cross the sea in dangerous storms to reach this one man, that you entered into his unclean space, that you enter into our broken spaces and that you are not diminished by our sins and weaknesses. That uncleanness does not in any way compromise your holiness or your power. Help us to proclaim what you have done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.